We're having open and honest conversations about mental health and well-being. We should talk about it with Myra Ansari on Wave Now. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on Wave Now's We Should Talk About It, our podcast here uh, with Dr. Stephen Taylor and we with U of L Peace Hospital. And uh, we are talking about something um, that when Dr. Taylor mentioned it this morning, I was like, I don't know what we should talk about. Give me some ideas. And you mentioned traumatic attachment. And I was like, I don't really know what that is. And maybe some of you all are in that same boat. So I had to Google it. And traumatic attachment is trauma considered to be a traumatic experience in an infant or in child, uh, an infant or child has when a primary caregiver does not or cannot provide adequate care, affection, and comfort. And this can lead to um, an impact on adults, um, right? Am I on Absolutely. the right page, yes. right path there? Um, talk to us about how you've seen traumatic attachment uh, impact folks. Yeah, so in our psychoanalytic world, we think about um, adult behaviors and we think about what do they link to? Can we find places in the past that can help us understand what's happening in the present? And some of our neurobiological research as well as some of our psychoanalytic research reinforce this notion that as infants and small children, when we have chaotic or, or disorganized or abusive attachments to adult figures, that it can lead to psychological trauma that still lingers and shows up in adult behavior. So folks who have a very difficult time regulating their own emotional states, people who act out um, uh, physical feelings, but they act them out physically. So the child who punches holes in the walls because he's angry, as opposed to saying, I'm angry, mm -hmm. or the person who might act out socially violently as opposed to being able to talk about their actual feelings. So we see traumatic attachment showing up a lot in the world we live in right now, and a lot of the social unrest and violence we see, not all of it, but a lot of it could be drawn back to disorganized attachments as small children, leading to that kind of long-lasting trauma. Um, can you experience traumatic attachment? Uh, say you had a great childhood, everything was normal. Can you experience traumatic attachment as an adult? You can. I mean, assuming we have adequate um, nurturing and attachment as small children and as infants, we're less likely to manifest it so overtly as adults um, because we have a good foundation. So even if there's trauma as adults, we can see it to some extent, but it won't be as severe as it would be if there is just inadequate um, nurturing and attachment as a small infant. Not being able to um, communicate effectively. I mean, it's common sense, like we all should, the benefits of it, right? But uh, give me some more examples of how we see this. Is it, you know, a child that's neglected by their mother? Is it our father or parent or a child that's abused and then grows up maybe being right. a bully and, and or there something? Becomes a bully yes. or is an abuser. Those things are certainly true. And we can certainly see that um, adults who have children who themselves have suffered trauma and don't have a real capacity to connect emotionally with others are going to have a difficult time with their own children. And that's often how we see um, sort of a social trauma passed down. If you've got a traumatized adult who had a difficult childhood or has some severe trauma, they raise 
children. They're not overtly trying to say, here's my trauma, and now I'm giving it to you as a Christmas present mm -hmm. so that you can carry it forward. Mm -hmm. But they kind of do pass it down because they have difficulty being able to connect emotionally. They have a hard time reading their own feelings, and they have a hard time figuring out what it is the other person is feeling and what do they need from me right now. And so when they have that difficulty, it creates a disconnect. And so for infants and small children, it's very confusing and disorganizing. If they grow up that way, they carry it forward. They have a difficult time regulating their own feelings, their own emotions. And pass it forward. They think it's normal. Right. This is what normal looks like. That, that famous book, you know, The Adult Children of the Alcoholic, it's, you know, the, the catchphrase that goes over and over in that book is guessing at what's normal, you know, because they grew up in an environment that was not normal and they're trying to figure out what is this thing called normal. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to behave? Um, if you have a question for Dr. Taylor about our topic today, traumatic attachment, feel free to uh, write it down here in the chat, um, and I'll try to keep an eye on them, and I can ask Dr. Taylor about this uh, if you have a question. Um, so, Dr. Taylor, if someone is um, has experienced traumatic attachment, some signs um, we had mentioned uh, being, you know, um, maybe outbursts or uh, aggression. Um, what are some other things that we should look out for? So some things we might see would be just kind of socially awkwardness, feeling difficulty in understanding what people around them are saying or thinking, understanding what the emotional content is. Um, having a difficult time understanding what we feel or being able to verbalize it. We find ourselves acting our feelings out instead of saying what they are and talking about them. <clears throat> this is one of the strengths, I think, of psychotherapy is to be able to put words to thoughts and feelings so that they have a kind of life in which we can express them mm -hmm. as opposed to their being acting out, acted out. Um, so with traumatic attachment, I'm going to try to phrase this question the best that I can, is the impact of it always played out in a way where it impacts other people or can it impact myself? Say, can you, uh, does, could it lead to drug and alcohol abuse or does it lead to violence against others? Does that make sense? Yes, both things are true. What we're going to probably see the most is the violence against others, right? So if I have a traumatic attachment and I do something that's overtly violent to a community around me, well, that's going to make the news, it's going to get talked about, people are going to make a big deal out of it. But if it's inwardly directed, if I become a drug addict, if I become an alcoholic, well, I'm doing that to me. I may be disrupting my family, but I'm not disrupting a whole large swath of the culture all at one time. But I certainly think that drug addiction, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, alcohol addiction, those are all things that we can see as a byproduct of, mm -hmm. of traumatic attachment. So let's talk about, take it in maybe a different route. Um, if you live in a community that is um, uh, just plagued with violence, say shootings happen all the time, uh, you hear gunshots all the time, and nobody reacts at home when they hear the gunshots, or you do react, could that, how does that kind of play out with traumatic attachment? Do you not bat an eye, you know, when shootings happen or someone dies? Like, does that make sense? For sure, okay. yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there's no sense of connecting what's being heard outside the home with what's going on inside the home, it's very unsettling, chaotic, risky, dangerous. Your anxiety level is high all the time. 
Um, from a biological standpoint, our cortisone levels are really high when we're under a lot of stress. That has a lot of negative effects on our body, a lot of negative effects on our brain. It has a negative effect on how we learn. We know that people who have a lot of circulating cortisol, for example, because of stress, can't learn as well. So kids who live in uh, neighborhoods where there's a lot of violence, it's hard for them to learn. So they go to school. Well, we got them at school, so we've done our work, but they can't learn because they're in a situation where they're under a lot of stress and those stress hormones are very high and it makes it hard to learn anything. We certainly know in trauma, for example, traumatic events disrupt our capacity to take in new information. So people who've suffered a severe trauma, like they've been in a war zone, um, they've been raped, they've had some other really horrible trauma happen to them, at the time that's happening, their brain is being disrupted by stress hormones and it's almost impossible to take information in. So the memories of those things is very strange and sporadic mm. and sketchy. Um, so if you hear somebody who's suffered from a severe trauma talk about the event, the memory of it feels real sketchy and spotty and sporadic, but they may have intense details about specific pieces of it, but they don't have the whole story. They can't really tell it as a narrative. They might remember what was happening before. They may remember clearly what was happening sometime after, but the event itself is a little sporadic and spotty, which is exactly what we would expect to happen during a trauma because during the trauma the brain is being disrupted by um, stress hormones that make it impossible to learn anything. That's really fascinating. I never thought about it that way. Are we talking about traumatic attachment more now than we did um, in years past? Uh, you know, the, our point in this podcast, we should talk about it, is because you brought up something. I was like, what is that? You know, and it, it's, it makes sense. What you experience um, in your younger years mm -hmm. plays out as an adult a lot right. of times. Absolutely. Yeah, that's crucial. You know, in, in the world of psychoanalysis and the psychoanalytic thinking, we're always thinking about three things. One, uh, human beings are not a blank slate. We are born with inborn needs that need to be met and we try to meet those. The second thing is that our goal of mental life is to go out in the world and figure out how to meet those needs. And the third thing is that we do that mostly unconsciously. And those are the three core values that we think are true from a psychoanalytic lens. And if we think about the second and third one of those, that we try to meet our needs in the world and that we mostly do it unconsciously, that that leads to a lot of what I think we're seeing. We all have needs. We all need to take care of ourselves. We all need to eat. We all need to find a mate. We all need to feel joy. We all need to play. We need all these we things. We all need love. We all, we all need We need to be nurtured yes. and taken care of. And we need to care for people and things. Um, and so these are all some of our basic emotional needs that we need to figure out how to, to do in the world. And if we live in a world that's full of chaos, that's the world we're trying to do that in. And we're mostly doing it unconsciously. You're so, in survival mode. Right. You're in a survival mode. And so we're doing it mostly without even thinking about it consciously. And I think that leads to a lot of what we call psychopathology, which is we see a lot of things happening that are not good for us that we just seem to repeat over and over again. And this is largely why. 
because we live in a world that's chaotic and dangerous and we're trying to meet our needs and we're mostly doing it without giving it much thought. Mm -hmm. And if we can learn to think about what it is that's happening and link it to events in the past, then we can begin to make sense of what's going on with us and change the, the direction that we're moving. That was my next question. How do we break the cycle? How do we step out of what has happened to us and move forward? Right, yeah, so it's remembering, reenacting, and uh, and working through, right? Those are the three things. Reenacting is hard. It's, it's hard to go through that trauma yes, again. Yes, it is. It, yes, there are a lot of words we would use for <laughs> to sort of bring it back and yeah. think about it. And it is difficult. And one of the biggest fears, I think, that people who who've truly suffered from trauma is the, the fear that remembering it is going to make it feel like it's happening all over again, as opposed to being able to remember it, but they're remembering it differently and to be able to work it through and to be able to process it differently than they experienced it the first time. That's the hardest part to get started. Mm -hmm. And once that can begin to happen, then the chances of working things through and changing the overall pattern becomes a possibility. I know, you know, I am guilty of so many moments in my life. I don't know if you all are like this. Uh, you sweep it under the rug. Pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> right. It didn't happen. Let's just not talk about yeah, it. Yeah, it, it turns out that's not so great <laughs> it's for not us. not great. Right, and so I think that does lead to a lot of what we are looking at in the world today. So I was thinking about if I were trying to find one phrase that would help sort of explain some of the the vastness of what we're experiencing in the world today. I would say the traumatic attachment is at, sort of at the epicenter of that. It may not be the single cause of all of it, but I think it's a big thing for us to be thinking about and trying to understand. Um, so if someone has experienced traumatic um, attachment, it doesn't mean that the course cannot be corrected. Um, is it, you just have to get into therapy, you have to talk about it, you have to address the issue. What would you suggest to folks? Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I think you sort of said it. I think therapy is the key. And it's, it's beginning to make the unconscious action conscious so that we can think about it, work on it, process it. The brain wants to do things unconsciously. Our brains are designed to function automatically. Our brains don't want to have to think about all the stuff we're doing. We don't want to have to think about starting our car and driving it as if it's the first time we're doing it every time we start it. Our brains don't want to work that way. Mm -hmm. So for most of us who've been driving cars for a long time, we can listen to podcasts, we can uh, call somebody on the phone, we can do all kinds of stuff that we probably shouldn't be doing, but that we can do mm -hmm. while we're driving because we don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. That's how our brains want to work. And our brains are that way with everything, even in relationships, even in friendships and work. Our brains want to work automatically. And so that's the natural thread of how our brains work. And if we experience trauma, our brain is going to work that automatically, too, because mm -hmm. our brains want to do things automatically. So the goal is in therapy is to swim against the current, pull that stuff out of automatic function, think about it, talk about it, give it words, link it to past events, talk about those links, and the brain is eventually going to go back to working automatically. But hopefully when it does that, it's going to be doing it in a different way because we've talked about it and worked it through, mm -hmm. and we've turned it into something that's going to function automatically but differently than it was working before. So I've been reading Dr. Taylor a lot about triggers, right? 
um, and how, say, if you experience some sort of trauma, something can trigger that trauma, mm -hmm. and that's when you act out. And right. it's not that, uh, basically, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, like triggers, it's, there's always something there. It's not about you poking the bear and you said something right. to me and right. now I've erupted. Yeah. I've always had something there and never dealt with it. Right. So it's not necessarily your fault that you poked the bear. Right. I just didn't deal with my right. issue. Exactly. That's right. And I wasn't going to know it because we've never talked about it. Mm -hmm. um, but so obviously if that happens between you and me, there's an opportunity for you and me to talk about something and try to understand what just happened. You know, what, what, what just happened between you and me. Mm -hmm. And then there can be a link. Well, there was the thing between you and me now, but it might link to something in the past too. And that's something that we can also talk about and bring into the circle and begin to understand that a little bit better. Whatever it was I just did is always going to poke you no matter what. Mm -hmm. uh, but we now understand it and you have a better idea of what it was that got triggered. So next time it gets poked, it doesn't bother you as much. You've got a link that you sort of understand it more. Mm -hmm. And we do it, let's say our friendship is so bad that I can't stop doing it. <laughs> and so we've done it a thousand times, yeah. then maybe on the thousandth time you're like, yeah, you know, yeah. what are you gonna do, Steve? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's, there's no fixing this guy. Yeah, um, so should we always uh, take into account sometimes, sometimes, um, it's kind of tricky because you never want to. I'm trying to like, when we have these discussions, stay away from the words. Like I've been trying like to call always, always yeah, and right. never. And right. I've been reading about right. how those words. You know, well, it's kind of hard when you, that's how we've <laughs> talked forever. But right. um, do you uh, allow some grace, some understanding? Like somebody acted out this way, they punched the wall. Maybe they've been through something. Right. Maybe there's something else going on that they just have not resolved right. yet. Yeah, I think that's right. So, you know, one of the things might be instead of me as the parent or whoever I might be in the scenario watching the kid punch the wall, instead of just screaming and saying, stop punching the wall, you're mm -hmm. making me crazy, mm -hmm. to say, can we think about this and try to understand what you're trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. What's happening here? Does, does, this, does this mean something? Uh, because meaning is important to us as human beings. Things have meaning. Mm -hmm. And so does punching the wall mean something? Can you tell me what this means? And that begins to unravel it a little bit. And, of course, that sort of compassion and understanding is harder, say, when you have situations of mass violence or you right. hurt somebody right. or, you know, it's, it goes beyond a wall. You know, you've physically and mentally hurt somebody. Right. It's hard to have that. That's hard. Understanding it's of. It's extremely difficult yes and you know and I'm not saying be passive and don't defend yourself absolutely you know, that's not what I'm trying and to say and that's why I brought that up like right. that, that can right. be really hard because even if you did experience trauma as a child like I, I am I don't even have the words to express right. the anger that I feel for what you did right yeah. yeah exactly I mean we could spend episodes and episodes and episodes sort of digging into all the things that get stirred up by this topic and all the things there are there for us to think about. Mm -hmm. Certainly, we all have to defend ourselves. Sure. That's important. That's an important part of our emotional needs mm -hmm. to be met. Um, but sometimes, you know, if there's an opportunity to say, 
what does this thing mean and can we talk about it, that does give us an opportunity to begin to have a discussion about whatever the topic mm -hmm. might be. So just keep in mind, you know, if you're an adult watching this with us today, you know, if you are kind of that type of person who doesn't deal with things, does not talk, your kids are picking up on that. Right. They're noticing that. And um, maybe that's not the way that you want them to deal with their feelings or emotions mm -hmm. because you don't know what the outcome could be. Right. So addressing it. Yeah, and this is an important piece about working on ourselves helps the people around us. Mm. You know, if we, if we have an issue, we can work on that issue, and that helps the people around us. There was a famous experiment done called the still face experiment. This, you can see these on YouTube. They're all over the place. Okay. It shows the, the mother or sometimes the father interacting with the baby. And so the way the experiment's supposed to go is the parent starts interacting with the baby, playing with them, and then they're going to turn their face away uh, for a few seconds, and then they'll turn back around with a just blank face, and they'll just stay blank regardless of what the baby does. And so you can see in the beginning when they're interacting with the baby, there's real connection. They're playing. Um, the baby's imitating what mom and dad are doing. They're imitating what the baby's doing, reflecting the face back. And then when they turn back with the blank face, it's immediately stressful. The baby's immediately in distress. Like, what, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. We were just playing. Where, where's that? They'll try to get you to smile. They'll try to do that little thing they were doing that made you laugh. And and it's not happening, and you can see the baby start to shut, shut down. down. They'll give start up. shutting down, they mm -hmm. just give up. And so I think this is an example of what happens in that mirroring that's so crucial between parents and their children, that if the parent has something that needs to be worked on, it's good to work on it. That's gonna help them take care of their children, mm. help them be better parents. This has been an interesting combo once again. Dr. Taylor, what am I not asking you that you want folks to know about? I mean, there's so much we can talk about. I know. I, I feel think... like, you know, little things that we, and it makes sense, really, when we stop and think about it, it truly makes sense. Sometimes, why are children paying attention at school? Right. Maybe something's this going on. This could be on. part of it. This could be part of it. You know, maybe we should, um, you know, try to get our children some help early on. We need help, you know. Uh, I talked about how sometimes it didn't happen. It just hide it behind right. the curtain. It just, didn't, you know, but that's not the, the healthy way to deal with right. things. And um, the, hard, the hard path is to talk it out. I know. And that's the hard thing. And to that's do. the thing. When you said reliving it, I'm like, oh, I just, I don't want to. Yeah, it's very hard. It's very hard work. And so, so therapy can be very hard work, but I think therapy is a tool for that. We're swimming upstream when we do therapy. We're going against the current. We're going against the trends that our brains want to function. Mm -hmm. Our brains do not want to spend hours and hours thinking about all this stuff and talking about it. And therapy wants to kind of drag us into that. Mm -hmm. That's the hard work. But if we can do that hard work, we can commit ourselves to it, we can make enormous change. Yep. All right. Dr. Taylor. Thank you so much for sharing this. I hope this helped you all, our latest episode of We Should Talk About It. I'm Myra Ansari with Dr. Stephen Taylor from U of L Health Peace Hospital. Hope you have a great day.